Welcome to the Eskenazi Health Here For You podcast, where we go beyond the doctor's office, take a closer look at the programs that Eskenazi Health has to offer our patients in the communities we serve. My name is Brian Van Bocklin with the public affairs team, and today we have Dr. Levi Funches Jr. Did I say that? Fun? You did. Okay, cool. All right, right on. Uh, he, he's one of our, our doctors with the Eskenazi Health Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, or the NICU, uh, and he also uh, specializes in perinatal medicine. Uh, Dr. Funches is here today to discuss the very important role of the NICU uh, for babies in their very early days and months and offers some more insights into what type of care the babies receive while in the NICU. That is about as formal as I'm going to get on this okay. conversation here. So, um, that sounds good. Uh, so, so we'll dive in, uh, hopefully toughest question, a little bit more about you, your background, how long you've been with Eskenazi Health. Okay. Uh, yeah, Man. prop yourself up, please. Yeah, there's a lot to go there. So I've been with Eskenazi Health since 2016, so I guess I'm going on like uh, seven years, kind of like the end of 2016. Uh, my role here uh, right now, I serve as associate medical director of the NICU, uh, working with uh, our medical director, Dr. Joanne Matori, and uh, providing, you know, the best medical care to our, our newborns who come into the NICU, preemies, premature babies who are born that ends up in, uh, coming in there for care. Um, I have a lot of different roles. Uh, you know, one one of the benefits with the location of Eskenazi being near, uh, you know, a premier uh, school of medicine or university like IU School of Medicine. So I get to work with the uh, graduate medical education program. So I work also with the, res the pediatric residency program as one of the associate program directors. So I, I'm really, uh, that's a new position for me and I'm enjoying that because mentoring and, and um, working with learners and trying to help them understand uh, pediatrics and ways to look at medicine and holistic care uh, is sort of a new passion of mine. Um, I guess my background, I, um, I, I'm from Chicago, so from south side of Chicago, city boy. Uh, went to undergrad at Washington University, St. Louis. Uh, then I went to medical school at Johns Hopkins University in uh, Baltimore. So, and then from there, I did uh, my medical, my residency training in Chicago at uh, uh, what was then Advocate Christ Hope Children's Hospital. I think now it's just uh, Advocate uh, Children's Hospital in Oakland, Illinois. So I did my pediatric residency there. And then I kind of, I'm an, I'm an army doc as well. Oh, so that's, wow. yeah, yeah. So that's like another hat a lot of folks don't notice, know about myself. Uh, I did pediatrics with the army, uh, um, a total of 10 years active duty as a military provider. In between there, I did, then went and did my subspecialty training back in St. Louis at St. Louis Children's Hospital, where I specialized in NICU and then went back to the army and was at Madigan Army in Tacoma serving as a neonatologist there. Uh, that's really where I got my foray in kind of some leadership work, as well as uh, doing some uh, interactions with uh, learners in medicine. And so I think that's where it sort of got the passion of wanting to get back into academic medicine. And so to, uh, me and my wife, it came time to make that decision um, to, to, to whether to stay active or to go reserve or get out. And so I decided to do Indiana National Guard uh, it was mostly because of the moves. Our kids were in junior high, and we were trying to get somewhere stable. And so came here, and so that's another hat I wear. I actually serve in the National Guard as a as a medical provider. They are uh, they're a little bit bigger than the neonates in, in the NICU. Uh, different issues, but it's still it's, it's still you know basic medicine and doing uh, kind of like a lot of you do see in there. A lot of it is uh, still a lot of guidance and mentoring with the young troops. 
and like talking with them about their health and, and taking care of their health and, and helping them with their career goals. So, so I'm already fascinated. So when it's time to actually get back to talking about Eskenazi, someone here hit me and say, dude, we've got something to talk about. You had me at pediatrics in the military. I have to know like pediatrics in the military. What, it, what, because we don't have kids serving in the military. So what, what does it mean to be a pediatric doctor yeah. in the military? Yeah. Cause I, I need to know about that. Now. Yeah. You'd be surprised. Cause uh, if you really think about it, right. Cause soldiers have their families. Mm-hmm. And so that's really uh, crucial to, to the, to the forces, the fighting forces, making sure that their loved ones, their dependents are uh, taken um, care of. And, and part of that is providing good medical care. Okay. So uh, it's your, you're here in America uh, oh, yeah. oh, oh, see, oh, when I, I heard could, pediatric in the military, oh, I, I heard war zone providing pediatric care yeah, in a war zone. That's, that's a whole so, other conversation, okay. Brian. But <laughs> I, I have served. I did serve as a, a what they call in the military. They call them uh, uh, battalion, brigade, division, surgeons. Uh, you're not necessarily doing surgery. Mm-hmm. I think back in the day, this when the army was formed, yes, the medical uh, providers were probably doing on-field surgery. So I think the title sort of say the same. But you provide a, a role as a medical provider for uh, a combat arms uh, group. It can be a battalion, which is about probably uh, 300, 500 soldiers to a division, which can get up into the 1,000. And then you can get in a corps, which can get even bigger than that. And each of those echelons and levels have a um, medical group that's um, giving guidance to the, our military commanders about the health of the force. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, serving in those roles, you'll be surprised, are a lot of pediatricians. Wow. Uh, pediatric uh, specialists as well. And so. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay now but we'll we'll, we'll get, yeah, we'll get yeah. on with the SKS, yeah. but no that's that's fascinating and like i said i i heard pediatrics in the middle i was like you're treating kids and what oh, you know yeah. that's what i what i cued into in the moment mm-hmm. but all right so the eskenazi health uh uh nick you i i think maybe it's a I don't know if it's a stereotype or whatever, but when people hear the the babies in the NICU, they tend to get really, really nervous about that. So can you kind of walk, walk us through and explain who who goes to the NICU, what, what capabilities the NICU is there for? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a simpler, not simple, but one of the easier um populations that we take care of are babies born early, right? Mm -hmm. So anybody born earlier than terms, term is considered probably 38 to 48 weeks gestation, or if you really go by the the big definition is 40 weeks is complete term. But uh, anybody born earlier than that that has any kind of you know, uh, premature issues, especially babies who are born probably in that 24 to 34 week uh, uh, gestation range, born for various reasons. Sometimes they're born early because of um, baby indications, sometimes because multiple gestations, uh, just not enough room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and then sometimes they're born for maternal reasons, but whatever reason, if they're born early, uh, with now with modern medicine, uh, we're able to kind of provide uh, care for those families where we, you know, for the most part, uh, a lot of it is uh, providing breathing support because a lot of times it's uh, baby's lungs just needing time to grow, mature, 
uh, and just giving them the support that way, which can be as simple as just a little bit of oxygen by a cannula or something going through their nose to uh, needing a breathing tube and needing a, a breathing machine. So those babies will end up with us. Uh, we also, babies who need nutritional support, because uh, as you can imagine, um, um, there is a intricate kind of, I guess, brain neurologic process that goes into babies knowing how to eat. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and it's, it is um, a process that sort of develops later in gestation. So if babies are born early, uh, they can't necessarily go home and, and take a bottle in order to make sure they hydrate and eat well. So that's something we provide in the, in the NICU. So providing kind of that nutritional uh, support in order to kind of help the baby grow, get bigger, get stronger, get to their term age, and then they'll be able hopefully to, to go home. Uh, you can have, you know, there are sometimes babies born with congenital anomalies, uh, surgical needs. Sometimes um, those babies will end up in, in the NICU and needing support, uh, sometimes uh, based on whatever the genetic condition could be, uh, they can end up uh, with us as well. But any baby within the newborn process that's having any kind of critical care kind of hospital care, kind of medical invasive needs will end up um, in, an, in, an, in a NICU in order to get that care to try to help them to get home. I usually tell families when they're, uh, whether prenatal consult or they come to our NICU, I usually say, you know, a baby's going home, got to do three things. And that's even all term babies. They got to, one, be able to maintain their temperature. So that's one thing, you know, maintaining their temp to stay warm in the, in the environment. Uh, that's another thing we can provide in the NICU as, as our preemies are learning to do that because their skin can't necessarily, uh, the integrity of the skin may not be as well to hold, hold their temperature in. They just don't have, there's a lot that goes into, you know, mm -hmm. we think about it, you don't think about it every day, but like our body mass and everything helping us keep our temperature. So that's one thing. I usually state the second thing the baby has to do it. They got to be able to kind of breathe on their own, kind of breathe and be able to do that process of oxygenating and blowing off CO2, being able to do those things. And uh, then third, which I usually tell families, is usually the one thing that kind of takes some time and is, is you know, can be sometimes frustrating for families because usually babies get the temperature thing quickly. And usually the breathing issue can, um, for the majority, especially depending as if they're closer to term, they usually figure that out. It's the eating issue. They got to be able to eat uh, safely, enough to hydrate and enough to grow. And so all babies, you know, even the babies who go home in a day, they're checking those three things. We're checking as pediatricians um, to make sure they're doing those. And then once the baby meets those criteria, they're probably met criteria to be able to go home. So you're saying it's more than just eat, sleep, and poop. They got to be yeah, able to poop. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, so we were kind of talking about this before we turned the mics on, but so what is the capacity of the Eskenazi Health uh, NICU? Yeah, so our Eskenazi NICU is in process. It's a level three NICU. So when you look at the levels, um, there's four levels. So um, level three is kind of at the top where we can kind of provide uh, invasive ventilatory support, of nutrition support. Uh, we have medical subspecialists, so uh, your, your GI doctors, um, uh, infectious disease doctors. We can um, we have uh, consultants, endocrine, so dealing with the hormones. If baby have hormones or blood sugar issues, they can help us with, so you can provide those, uh, th those care. Our NICU is about, can host about 30, 30 to so, so beds, uh, 30 babies in there. Um, that we can provide uh, care for. Sometimes there is some room to potentially 
go up on that number some, maybe just a little bit, it's a little bit of fluctuation. But uh, it's a 30-bed NICU, single-bed, single-patient rooms. Uh, so that's uh, a lot of NICUs are moving towards that, and that's uh, I think that helps with the development for the baby, uh, sometimes with infection control. Uh, and um, I think it also helps with the ability for families to be um, in, uh, with their babies um, uh, for a, uh, the entire time while the baby's there because they can have kind of their own room and you don't get into the issue when you have the open room that when we round, you don't get into the issue of HIPAA violations because it's a lot easier for families to hear as opposed if they have their own individual room and then we can kind of talk, discuss with their baby, the care we're doing, and then can go on to the next. So I, I you had said level three NICU. Mm -hmm. So is that the top tier, whereas a level one trauma is the top mm -hmm. tier? Is that, is yeah. it just flip-flopped? So, yep. so yes? Exactly. Yep, it's sort of flip-flopped. Level, like a level one NICU, kind of like our newborn care is kind of like your nursery. Level two is a little bit step above that. They can do a little bit of some maybe respiratory support, like oxygen. Some can do a little bit of a CPAP or kind of positive pressure with like a face mask, but only usually for a period of time. Uh, they don't want they won't have the specialty care, uh, not necessary surgery. And then your your level three sort of can do a little bit more of the, um, I won't say invasive NICU care, but kind of what people um, associate more with kind of critical care, ICU care. And then when you get to your level four, your level four uh, NICUs, which is sort of like uh, here, Riley, uh, they have mostly all the in-house specialists, they have the surgery. Uh, some of those can do kind of the ECMO or kind of bypass, they can do those things. That's something we don't offer here. Uh, they do um, uh, therapeutic hypothermia for like those kids where they come out if you're worried about a hypoxic uh, brain injury. They can do the therapeutic cooling for the neonates. Uh, and some level threes do do that as well. They can do that. It's just for our setup here. We utilize our neurology colleagues and the neuro NICU over at Riley. So in, a, I guess, a layman sense, would it be fair to say that level fours are specialty children's hospitals mm -hmm. in level three is about as high as you would uh, you would find a hospital that isn't a four children hospital yes okay. correct yeah gotcha um so uh what are the how does how does the NICU interact with family beginnings uh, it, it, do, are we in the same sandbox with that or are there people patients that would go to NICU and I guess bypass family beginnings, or how, how does that uh, relationship work? Yeah, I think it's kind of, I would say maybe in the same sandbox, because kind of what falls under family beginnings would kind of be uh, what we would call, as far as from a baby standpoint, is probably like our, our newborn care. Mm -hmm. So the babies who are born, you know, don't need the breathing support. They can um, breastfeed or bottle feed pretty. They kind of um, can do that quickly. Uh, and those babies will go home with their mom when mom is discharged after. Our, our family beginnings also includes our obstetrics care, includes lactation. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, we, we work with our, our obstetric colleagues like maternal fetal medicine, our colleagues here, our, our specialists who specialize in our high-risk deliveries. They consult with us about cases. Was this a case we feel that we can uh, provide care for? And so... I think it is like we sort of are maybe in the same sandbox with family mm -hmm. beginnings. I mean, we have, we're a little bit, I guess, more babies, critical care focus. Um, 
our our babies will or you know when they are admitted to the NICU I'm not going to say they're going to be there a long time but when they are admitted to the NICU they're probably going to be there for a few days mm -hmm. and some or their months uh depending um they will be there whereas i think in family beginnings it's more kind of what people would associate to you come to the hospital you have two your baby in two days you're going kind of home and you get kind of those those uh, support but i believe but we work together mm -hmm. we work together with family beginnings you know we sit on uh, we work together on different committees uh, to kind of provide um, support for each other, to provide support for the families we take care of, uh, and working together to try to make sure, you know, things are kind of in line, like how do we how we do vitals, how do we assess, you know, feeding for uh, babies in newborn as well as in NICU. And so there is some crossover, like I believe our lactation support in the NICU does cover their lactation support there in family beginnings or in newborn. Our social workers work together as well, too. So, so would it be, um, in, the, in that case, it, it sounds like it's separate, but but together almost but mm -hmm. so would a would it start with a referral to the NICU from family beginnings does everything start like that or is the NICU I guess for lack of a better way to put it activated in an emergency situation I mean do you have people who weigh in the process we already know that this is going to be a NICU situation mm -hmm. and we just move you over and send you straight to yep. that or how does that work? It, it is exactly sort of like what you described. I mean, there are some instances, you know, we, we hope we could know all instances where there are some where we are sort of understand this baby just based on how early mom is, to, you know, they're, they're delivering for whatever reason. Uh, we know that baby will need NICU care. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we know based off their prenatal consults or if they might have like a concern for a heart lesion, they may want them to come to the NICU first to get the echo to see how it looks and if everything and talk with the cardiologist and if everything's fine and they may be able to go back with mom just be, just to try to clarify. Um, so so sometimes we know. Then there's sometimes where, you know, there are some, I think for uh, Nick various Hospitals will have kind of criteria where they will say, okay, these babies at this gestation age, so if mom is 35, 36, 37 weeks, they would say these babies at this gestation, uh, if they're under that, we want them to come to the NICU in order to make sure that they're able to keep their temp, that, they learn, that they're breathing fine, that they can eat, that kind of watch them for a period of time, a couple hours, you know, four to 12 hours, and if they're okay, then they can go back uh, to room in with their family. Uh, so sometimes they will have that set up. And of course, there's always, you know, in family beginnings, nursing, their providers are watching them. The, 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 you know, the pediatrician team does see babies in newborn. And if there are concerns, they notify us in the NICU that they have concerns. And, and either someone, the residents, staff, nurse practitioner, someone from our team will come over, assess the baby, talk with the pediatric team about their concerns. And if we feel that uh, this baby, the best thing for the baby and the family is for them to be in the NICU, they will get admitted to the NICU. So sometimes we got a heads up. Sometimes yeah. uh, things may develop uh, during the first uh, day to a few days of life in the, for the baby that something may develop they may need to come to the NICU for.
So you mentioned when we were, uh, you mentioned this, uh, honestly, we had the best five-minute pre-interview conversation <laughs> I could have ever hoped for, for what, before we turned the mics on. But, and then you mentioned when, when you were introducing yourself about the holistic care, because you had mentioned that when you were coming out of school, it was so focused on the medicine, and, yeah. this, and then now it's getting into that holistic wraparound care that you're seeing. How is that, and you said you have a particular interest or passion for, for that you know, aspect of it now. So what what are we offering as far as holistic yeah. care? How has that come into uh, the services of the NICU? Yeah, I think I mean I think it comes multiple uh, from multiple levels. I think there's uh, things we do like you know trying to incorporate families uh, in their baby's care from the beginning. You know, from skin to skin time, encouraging moms and dads to do uh, skin to skin time with them. Uh, there's things like music therapy that we do uh, that's, that's, that's offered. And I think that there's, you know, talking with families how music can be used to kind of help with bonding, can help with neurodevelopment. Uh, we do, you know, one thing I'm passionate about is uh, involving fathers and in, 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 um, in making them feel uh, part of the team. I think a lot of times people uh, in, in pediatrics or especially in NICU and uh, talk about maternal child health and maternal child and sort of think of it from a diet standpoint. And one things I'm trying to work on is trying to get people to think of it from a, whether a triad or the whole encompassing uh, the entire family and, and making uh, the environment feel welcoming. Uh, uh, making sure that if there's other, uh, if there's an, another parent in the room to ask them, because a lot of times, you know, sometimes you get where you get both parents are engaging. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get it's more one. A lot of times if there's mom and the dad, it will be the mom, but making sure we like asking the dad, okay, what concerns you have and letting them know, hey, it's okay for you to hold your baby and do skin to skin time with. And those are some options that uh, we do as well. Um, I know, um, you know, involving, you know, I think our NICU has a very involved uh, therapy service group. Our occupational therapists, physical therapists are really engaged and are really uh, dedicated. They are therapists that are dedicated specifically to our NICU, and we have that. And I think we were one of the first NICUs uh, to have that incorporate where we have a dedicated therapist team that are engaged with families and work with families talking about massages and exercise that they can do with the babies uh, that they can be involved. I think, you know, I think we were talking about kind of understanding kind of the social dynamics mm -hmm. of yeah. uh, healthcare. Uh, and I think we're now better at, in medicine of understanding how uh, important that is to um, the care we provide. Uh, and so I think, you know, we have a very um, engaged family support uh, team, uh, whether we have our family support coordinator that works in our NICU with our, uh, to be um, engaging with the NICU nest, uh, as well as our social worker who's very involved. And we try to coordinate having a care conference for all families that come into our NICU, especially if it looks like their baby's going to be there for weeks, months, so they can understand. One thing I really like, too, that we've started, um, and I can't think of it, but they have a, a almost like a virtual translator, like we have translation services, because I think here in Indianapolis, we are now seeing a, a larger population that is Eskenazi serving where English isn't their primary language. And so I think it helps uh, 
to have kind of the virtual translator where they're actually on a on a uh, tablet screen and it's actually a person. And I think that helps the families to uh, that where English isn't their primary language to feel seen, to feel supported, and uh, feel able to engage with us. Um, yesterday here, I guess we had a, a nursing recruitment hiring fair, mm-hmm. and whenever we do things like this, without fail, the the NICU is the busiest table of of these things. You know, for probably for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what what do you tell somebody? who's coming into the NICU as an employee of like how, because how, it's stressful on the families, but stuff like this you can see is, is stressful on the people working it. How, how do we help our, our employees, you know, come in or maybe some nurse, a, a new, or a new grad nurse saying, I'm going to go work with, with the babies. And then two days later, they're like, this, this is not going to be for me. Like what, what do we, is there any message that you give to people who are coming in to work in the NICU about this? I think it's really, you know, I, I tell folks, you know, um, I don't, I won't necessarily say it's like high stress, mm-hmm. but I, I mean, cause I think we have, I've had more good stories than bad stories. I know when I tell people I work in the NICU and with preemies, they're like, oh, the delicate babies and oh man, I was like, yeah, but I actually have more, um, good stories than bad. And I think really is, um, you know, I think trying to find your, your niche. I mean, we all want to maybe feel like we can be good at all things. And so it may just be maybe for that, you know, that uh, individual coming in, trying to find like, is it connecting with the families? Is it, you know, uh, doing the, you know, definitely doing the best care for the baby, but is it sort of connecting like, you know, being at, uh, it, whether bonding somehow with the with the child baby I think really the biggest thing too is to encourage them to be willing to speak up if they're feeling those those instances or worries mm-hmm. um you know and it, it and it's not you know I wish we all could say that you know once we start down a path that's going to be it you know yeah. it can happen where you may think this is something for you uh, and it may end up not being it. I think um, I sort of talk with um, I'm mentoring with residents and, and med students and say, hey, you know, you might pick it and you may start down it and you may say, you know, this isn't what I thought it was. I'm, I need to change to something else. And I just let them know, you know, that's OK. You're not a failure. It doesn't mean I think a lot of times we think in medicine, we go down this path of undergraduate, graduate school, medicine starts starting and you get to this point and you're like, oh man, I invested all this time, but this is not what I want to do. It's okay to change. You know, I think I heard once, um, which I sort of had changed with um, the way when I mentor children is instead of asking kids what they want to be when they grow up, ask them like, what what change you want to do in the world? I love that you said that. I, I saw that maybe... 10 years ago or something like that, when I became a new father, it's like, don't ask your kids what you want to do when you grow up. I'm sorry I, I cut you off. Yeah. It was ask them what problems they want to yeah. solve. And I just think, so, so yeah, go go ahead. Yeah, but I just yeah. think so that I that's the say, best way that you can, yeah, like, best advice. Yeah, like what, what change you want to see in the world, how you want to help your community, because I think that's just all of us. I think each of us in this room could probably just look back on our journey and see that, you know, we're all continuing mm-hmm. to mature and grow and 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 think about ways that we can be better, uh, better humans, better in the world, however. And so I think it's just trying to help folks understand that. So I think if you have someone that feels 
like coming into NICU and it made it just feeling stressful. I think it's just, you know, speaking up. I think as being leaders too, it's like being able to um, being uh, open, uh, have an open door policy with those that you're uh, on the team uh, leading and working with and making sure that they, that they feel supported. Uh, recognizing that and sometimes you try to recognize those instances but again um, you know they definitely have to speak up and say when those issues are happening and understanding that it's not something wrong or something broken with them it's just you know we we have to you got to take chances you learn about stuff and you learn about yourself and if that's not the the way things should be going that's okay We'll, we'll try to help you find where it is you should. And I would say, I, you, you tell something, you've got this far. You can back You can back up a little bit and right. take a different t- different exit ramp. It's going to be fun. You're still a doctor. Yeah. You just pull you out and you can just go somewhere. It's, it, it'll be okay. Right. And I and also, I until before today, um, I didn't know, I guess, as far as the certification level, where our NICU was and just how good it is being that level three. Mm -hmm. And this is my toot the horn of Eskenazi. I mean, we're in a facility that's, you know, exclusive for Marion County that has a level one trauma center, a level three NICU, the only verified burn center in the state of India. This is some hardcore stuff that's going on at Eskenazi that I don't think people realize is right here in our community and it's just it's amazing that that we all get to be a part of that stuff yeah i I agree i agree i think like when i when i moved here from washington state i think um i was very impressed like with the facility mainly you know whether either from if you come in from maybe an aesthetic standpoint i was like wow this is the county hospital just like Mm -hmm. how it looks the aesthetics the piano, the fountain, and just yeah. the different places you go. I was like, wow, this is the county hospital because that's other places that other states have been. That wasn't always the case that the county hospital was as uh, as nice. Uh, but then, like you mentioned, like um, the level one, the burn center, our, our NICU, uh, just the care that's uh, provided here. I mean, and I've actually, and I, I'm not going to, I don't know names, but I know <laughs> I have talked with people in the community who say like, you know, yeah, if I got to go get care, I'm going to Eskenazi Care. And these are people who have private insurance. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, I'm going, that's where I go and where my family go. I want to go to Eskenazi. Uh, and I think that speaks to the level of care that's uh, provided here. And I think it's, uh, I think people here are invested in the community. Uh, and I really think people are invested in in the work we're doing to provide the best care for um, our families. And I think, like you know, like just thinking uh, recently, um, I call them the green box. And I don't know, <laughs> but the little tablet with the translator services, yeah. just to think how the hospital invested in that, because I think they noticed where. We did see, I definitely seen in my six years in the NICU that, you know, you know, uh, a large percentage of the families we serve, English isn't their first language. Um, and so I think the, the hospital recognized that and tried to provide these resources so that we as medical providers and um, can, com- can uh, connect with families as best we can without having to, you know, do babble and... Um, uh, the trend, you know, the the, the, sec, the language yeah. services. Well, and even that, that's stuff. almost disrespectful for the patient. Is mm-hmm. while you're you're not you're not doing it to be mean, but you have to stop everything down, do your own translation. This is putting it right in the room to keep that conversation mm-hmm. 
as yeah. close to two way as possible, possible but yeah. you know there's no delay i guess or minimal delay in, in that um I, I have a final like general nick you question but before we get into that is, is there anything relating to like eskenazi nick you that we have not touched on um that you want to make sure that we that, that we get out there I think we touched on every uh, both things. I would just say, like, one thing that I really enjoy about um, working here at Eskenazi is sort of the, in our NICU, is kind of the interdisciplinary kind of connections um, with, the, with the individuals I'm working with, from nursing to social worker to therapy services, nutritionists. And I didn't even mention about our dietitian nutritionists that are specific to our NICU that kind of helps us with our nutritional uh, needs of our patients. Um, I've just really have just enjoyed working here and with the people um, here um, here because they have a, I think there's a genuine sincerity of wanting to care for the families here and make sure that we're doing right by them and giving them the best care. And, and we know uh, a lot of the families um, um, have, every like all families, have unique uh, circumstances going on. And sometimes with our, our families served here, there might be more than one. But I think we, we want to make sure we, do a, we try to do the best job to make sure those families know that they're important, uh, that no matter what circumstances are in their lives that we, we see and want to help them um, be the best family they can and provide the best care for their um, their child. So uh, now on to my my off on topic but off topic question about it. So and I and only popped in my head because I was watching the news this morning and then we were coming in to talk to you. I was like I, I I'm curious um, the the earthquake in Turkey um, and there I saw in the news that they had pulled a a newborn infant baby out of the rubble that had been born in the rubble and like we still had the umbilical cord attached and all of that and visually the baby looks fine some scratches and so my question is if something say were to happen something like that say were to happen here would there be an emergency NICU activation or is all the or all those trauma traumatic injuries but if there's a situation that would create casualties of infants is that something the NICU would be activated for or is that am I is wrong sandbox. I, I would say I'm not as certain. Okay. But, uh, not as certain um, for here for for the state to answer that question. I just don't know if I'm as familiar with it. I know like by doing some stuff with the military, mm-hmm. um, where like other places I've been, where they sort of will consider pediatrics and how that plays into a mass casualty event uh, in the civilian sector. Um, but I'm not as familiar with Eskenazi's plan okay. for that, so I don't feel I can answer that. Fair honestly. enough. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just saw it, and they brought it out, they're telling the story, and then when I was like, so they take that little baby to the NICU? I mean, where like where does that baby go from there? Because it's a newborn. I mean, it's was just born. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, read, yeah, they had taken him to the, I think, to their NICU yeah. and was trying. I know he had, there was concerns about some hypothermia, mm-hmm. so trying to warm mm-hmm. him up. I saw the picture. Baby looked actually pretty well. They had it good. on the news yeah. that I was telling Rachel and some guys like visually, and I don't know anything, but visually it doesn't look much worse than if a kid had gone running through a thorn bush. It yeah. just had some superficial scratches. Yeah. Um, Doctor Funches, thank you for coming in. No, <laughs> I, I no really problem. appreciate it. Uh, and and 
you're another person we've met through here that I could I, I could like to invite you to come back yeah. whenever you wanted it because do. even just based on just your background and the places you have been, I would love to continue yeah. talking to you about stuff like that. It's uh, So, yeah, so I appreciate you coming in. Dr. Levi Funches Jr. with the NICU. Um, thanks a lot to uh, Joe and Rachel and Byron and everyone who uh, makes these podcasts happen. You can find all of our episodes at uh, Apple Podcasts or at SoundCloud, the Eskenazi Here For You podcast. Find us at EskenaziHealth.edu, all the social media channels. I'm going to need to do a podcast episode just to get all the places you can find us out. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you next time on the Eskenazi Health Here For You podcast.